You're listening to the Level Flight Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. And welcome in, everyone. Uh, it's another episode of the Level Flight Podcast, episode 19. Uh, we got a real exciting episode today. We have Jack Hahn coming in and uh, interviewing with us. Uh, it's going to be terrific. Um, I can't wait to, to show that with you guys. But before we get into that, a uh, couple big games over the past you know week or so uh, that we'd love to talk about. Um, notably, they uh, went into Florida and took <laughs> care of business. Uh, you know, a, a overtime win against the Panthers. Uh, 48 saves there for, uh, or 48 shots there for Hellebuck. Um, and then started the night after, beat the Lightning. Uh, before we go into the last leg of that uh, trip there when they went into Carolina, do a quick little chat on the Florida, uh, you know, excursion that they had. Um, I don't know about you, Connor. I didn't anticipate taking four points out of the Florida teams. No. I mean, like, they lost to San Jose, like, what, five days before? Yep. And you look at the upcoming schedule, you're like, okay, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, they have Boston tonight. You're like, oh, there's a real chance they go 0-4 here. And then they just go in and take care of business against Florida and Tampa just because, like, that's what the Jets do. They're just playing up and playing down. Uh, but, no, that Florida game was super exciting. I mean, Jets games against Paul Maurice are becoming must-watch must watch TV because <laughs> the Florida game earlier in the year, too, Shifley had, like, two goals and the Jets were flying. Um, so, yeah, that, that that was a really good game. Hellebuck, um, both games of the back-to-back. I was more impressed with the Tampa game just because the second night of the back-to-back, Tampa is really good. Made 33 saves in that one. Uh, but, yeah, Morgan Barron had the game winner on a really nice play from Appleton and then Dylan driving the net, creating chaos in the crease. But, yeah, that they want – like, I, I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting 0 for 2. Uh, and we'd be sitting here as their own three on the trip and they've got Boston tonight. I, but no, they they actually took care of business to an extent. But yeah, Hellebuck played great. Morgan Barron's coming out party, I'd say. Um, he's really breaking out these last five games. And the power play actually kind of woke up a little bit. So that was good. Yeah. And you also in that uh, that Florida game, you got two goals from Vlad Nemestikov. He's been amazing. I've been really impressed and he's proving me wrong early with the, obviously he does still have a a type of play and I'm anticipating at some point him settling back into that, but coming in and showing that he's got some offense, I'll take that. Him and Ehlers have shown that they have chemistry together. Like Ehlers, Nemesikov, Wheeler, I think going into the Carolina game or like at the end of the first or something, in the time that they've played together, small sample sizes, I know we all love small sample sizes. They had like a Absolutely. 70%, a 70% expected goals percentage or something ridiculous. I looked on Money Puck. It was unbelievable how good those two are playing together. Um, and Nikolai Ehlers as well. He's back. He was oh, played amazing so against Florida. Oh, he's he's flying. He's the zone entries are there. That the patented Nikolai Ehlers fly in and then come to a screeching halt and make a play. Um yeah, he, he's back. He looks amazing. And him and Nemesikov, I really hope they stick with it because they have some legit chemistry. Yeah. Um, they didn't keep the winning ways going, though, uh, as they rolled Tough. into uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to face off against the Hurricanes. Ended up losing that one 5-3, um, 4-3 with an empty netter. Uh, lots of 
beating themselves in that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was the puck management issues that we've talked about for months now. Um, I tweeted out throughout the game. Like I actually didn't hate how the jets were playing in this game. Like I thought they played a good game, but then there are four plays or five plays that you point to and say that lost them the game because Stenland is throwing it to Pionk and it bounces off the boards and then load a high pass bang back in the net. And I'm pretty sure that was the game winner. Jack Drury. That was the fourth goal of the game. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, all of their goals, like you could point to an unforced error or like a mistake with the puck that could have been prevented. And it's just frustrating to lose that way because they played decent, you know, like last game of a road trip against Carolina, um, who's a really good team at home. They actually played okay. And they didn't have Hellebuck in net either. Uh, maybe Hellebuck makes the save on the wraparound chance or whatever. Maybe Hellebuck just pulls a win out. But I, I, I didn't mind how they played, but I, I I expect them to get rolled. That's why. But then again, there's the puck <laughs> management issues. There's the puck management issues that you can point to and say, okay, that can't happen. Yeah, having low expectations means you'll, you'll never get disappointed. So Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, my, my thing too is it's easy, and I, I, I did it. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me criticizing some of the stuff, the goals that went past Riddick because you need mm-hmm. to stop those. Um, at some point though, regardless of how the goaltender play is, you have to make it so they're not the ones having to bail you out. Uh, you should be able to, if you're a good team, if you are, you know, trying to contend, um, you kind of have to, you know, outscore your problems, try and play better defensively. You can't just leave it all up to the goalies every night. Obviously, if you do that, Hellebuck's the better bet because he's used to it. Um, but when Riddick's in, he's not going to make the same saves that Halibut does. And uh, obviously he's been better than I had anticipated this year. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also, you just stop putting all of the weight on the goalie because they can only do so much. Yeah. There have been games like the, the home game against the Islanders where you can say, okay, well, like the Jets scored, no, like scored zero goals in that game. So at the same time, like there's, yeah. but like there are games where you can point and say, okay, Riddick struggled. Um, if Halibut's in that, maybe it's a different story. This was just like, yeah, Riddick could have made a save or two, but what is happening before the goals is a lot more problematic than the actual shot that went in. Um, the most notable storyline from this game, though, was Connor, Shifley, and Niederreiter being benched for the better part of 12 minutes, I think it was, in the second period. And then, as Mac, Mike, Mike McIntyre of the Free Press tweeted out, Niederreiter came out for media Mike and Ken Weeb of Sportsnet both requested Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley first. They both declined to come out and speak. And then Niederreiter comes out, talks to the media. I don't know, for for guys that have been here for for how long? And then Niederreiter's been here for a week and a half, two weeks. I I did not like that at all. Yeah, and so I'm in the mindset of they have a, a right to say, no, I'm not being interviewed. But then again, they don't really face the benching very often. So this is something that you should really, you know, they should be answering to this. So for Nino to come out and to be the the guy to actually answer for the, the issues, which frankly, I don't think should be put on him because as you said, he's been here for two weeks. So if anything, he's still learning. To, and he's the, the better player on that line in terms of production as of late. So yeah. 
having him come out and answer for the other two just doesn't sit right with me because those two have had a long history of having poor stretches and then not facing any sort of backlash for it. The second they get the benching, then they don't want to talk about it. So yeah. that's, I, I don't like it. It's, it's very, it's sours, uh, you know, how they see how their, their play was. I want to hear why they think they were benched because yeah. that's how you get the accountability. Maybe they're figuring that out in the room. As I said, they technically, they, they have the right to say no. It just felt like that was the time for them to come out and say, uh, yeah, uh, we deserved it. We're going to be better we need to be better. Yeah. Yeah. There. And that's exactly what Nino said. He basically came out and was like, yeah, we deserve to be benched. We did yeah. like, and uh, Scott Billick tweeted out. So did Garrett hole uh, the jet or that line when they were on the ice, the jets had generated zero shot attempts up until the point that they got benched. So like, you can't even say like, Oh, they shouldn't have been benched. I'm pretty sure they were on for um, like four of the goals against three or four of the goals against two as a line. Yeah. Uh, so they were they weren't generating shot attempts, not even shots on goal, shot attempts, and they were giving up goals in their own net. Like, absolutely bench them. This is what yeah. I've been saying for weeks. When when a top line is struggling this badly, bench them, bench yeah. them for half a period. Because why not? Because they're not like y- the fourth line was actually playing good too. So I liked this move. I didn't like, like you said, I didn't like how they didn't talk to the media after. Nino did a great job, said, yeah, we deserved it. But yeah. I would have preferred if the the longer tenured players would have spoke. But oh, well, yeah. So that'll be an interesting dynamic moving forward, especially because they've got another set of tough games coming up here. We're going to talk about that more, uh, but uh, we're actually going to go ahead to our uh, interview with Jack Hahn now. But before we get there, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. So we will uh, be back in just a second with Jack Hahn. Ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 in college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. It's easy to take the favorites. Personally, I'm riding UConn all the way to the final, but sometimes you've got to take those 12-5 upsets. I'm keeping an eye on VCU over St. Mary's, and maybe you should too. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, thanks again to DraftKings for sponsoring this episode. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, now we are excited to be joined today by Jack Hahn. Jack has a wealth of experience in the hockey world, including work as a video and analy- analytics coordinator at McGill and as an assistant coach with the Toronto Marlies of the American Hockey League. Now he works as a consultant coach who recently just re- released the latest in his series, Hockey Tactics 2023. Jack, welcome here. How are you today? Uh, super. Th- thanks for having me here, guys. Yeah, our pleasure. Um as uh as I said, Hockey Tactics 2023 out now. 
Um, if people haven't read it, um, so kind of let them know what it's all about and what's different about this year's version from uh, from past years. So for, for folks who are, who are new to my work, uh, essentially what, what I try to do is I try to bring kind of a, a pro level approach to uh, teaching tactical principles. Uh, if you look at any sort of NHL or AHL team, the way that coaches uh, communicate with players, obviously there's video, but there, there's also what they call system sheets, which is uh, illustrated diagrams that's posted in the locker room. So what I try to do is, uh, I, I try to bring that part to whether it's, uh, you know, your, your hardcore fans, whether it's uh, minor hockey coaches, uh, players of all levels. Uh, if you get my ebook, uh, you'll get uh, an illustrated breakdown of the way that every single NHL team plays. Uh, I, I brought it last year with uh, a lot of success. A lot of people enjoyed it. And then this year, what I've done is uh, I've added special teams play. So for folks who want to understand, let's say, how the Jets penalty kill, how they set up their power play, uh, how they set up their power play breakout, their PK forecheck, et cetera, it's all there for you. And I think I, I've made it so that it's accessible for everyone in terms of understanding how these high-level teams play. Yeah, and the Jets are a really interesting example of this because last year they missed the playoffs, obviously. They're coming into this year with largely the exact same team, uh, but a brand new coaching staff from top to bottom, right? So I want to get your opinion on like what were some of the big changes that that new coaching staff made? And is it was it a complete overhaul of their systems from top to bottom or was it just more minor tweaks here and there? So, uh, so, so first of all, even before getting to the Jets, um, it, it seems like whether I look at Boston, whether I look at Dallas, uh, you know, these teams who've decided to kind of run it back with more or less the same group, but a new coaching staff, they've all had success this year. So, right. so first of all, perhaps it was the right move at the right moment. And I, and I would put uh, the Jets in that, in that group as well. And the, the biggest difference that I saw when I was researching for the book was their neutral zone play or their transition play. And the, the two biggest things uh, that are different is, first of all, with the puck, you'll see the defenseman being way more involved in terms of getting up ice. And this is something that bonus, uh, you saw with bonus's team in, in Dallas, uh, where he was previously, uh, not so much with uh, the Jets, especially under Paul Maurice. <laughs> And then uh, Dave Lowry afterwards. And then the second different thing is their neutral zone four check. It, it used to be a pretty passive one, one, three. Now it's more of kind of a standard one, two, two that, you know, your, your, uh, your minor hockey triple A team might use or <laughs> your, your, you know, major junior team or your college team. So both changes, I think, were brought over from bonuses, um, Dallas teams. Uh, overall, it's nothing that's really kind of, out of the box, it's pretty standard, but it seems like the Jets have had pretty good results overall with those those tweaks. I'm interested in kind of your viewpoint because you've spent, uh, obviously you've spent time on the bench too. Um, in terms of what you're, uh, like what you've researched, what you've helped implement, what are the biggest differences sort of between consulting and actually being behind the bench with the Marleys? So, uh, so, so I, I was behind, behind the bench with the Marlies for, for one game to fill in for another assistant coach. Generally speaking, I'd be in the video room uh, running that part of the, 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 the whole operation. 
but but I've been on the bench now quite a bit uh, with the Connecticut Whale, the PHF, uh, which I worked with. Mm-hmm. And and I would say actually the the work itself is not that much different, but it's just the travel and the kind of the daily grind and the routine, it takes a lot out of you. And, and that's something I really enjoy now working as more of a consultant, more from home is that I can kind of skip all that and just concentrate mm-hmm. on the work itself, which is really nice. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, that I think is missing in that is, you know, I, I do enjoy spending time with my colleagues and with the players and seeing different cities. Like I had a chance to visit Winnipeg as, as an assistant with the Marlies and, uh, we we didn't head there in the dead of winter, which I think was good. But but I <laughs> there you go. there you I, go. I definitely enjoy seeing Winnipeg, and, and I think you guys have actually some some really interesting restaurants and good cuisine. So uh, I I enjoyed that part. But uh, overall, I think what I would say is that you know the coaching part, the actual work is is great, and seeing different cities is great. But a lot of the this downtime happens whether it's you're in a rink, you know, in a room with no windows, or you're on the bus, or you're on the plane, or you're in the terminal. A lot of that stuff, when you work from home, you don't get that. And, and I think it's it's been for the better that I, I don't have to spend as much dead time anymore. Yeah, for a lot of people visiting Winnipeg, I feel like the food and the restaurants are near the top of the compliments list. So that's right on brand. There you go. Winnipeg, great restaurants. Um I want to get back to what you said earlier about how bonus kind of lets his defensemen join the rush more often. Um, I want to, I took a quote from the book actually from 2023 um, where you said that there was a change in philosophy, just league wide uh, that has resulted in more offense. Um, I'll read the quote. It says here in the neutral zone, almost every team is giving their defenseman permission to join as the fourth forward, creating an extra option off the rush in the defensive zone. These same defensemen, have more freedom to leave the net early and sprint the middle for a breakout pass. And I want to relate this, relate this to Josh Morrissey simply because his entire career, he's never really been this high point producing uh, defenseman, but here he is with Rick bonus system with this change in philosophy. And he's almost over a point a game. He's already beaten his career high in goals. Is Josh Morrissey almost like the perfect example of this change in philosophy working for like one singular player? Uh, I, I would say so. I mean, it, like I'd have to double check his power play usage because generally speaking, when a defenseman gets a, a big bump in point production, right. a lot of it is u- usually is driven by playing the point on the power play and just getting a lot of touches and, and passing it to other people who put in the net. Uh, but certainly the, the changes that Winnipeg has made have, have really freed up Josh Morrissey. And for, for me, like, he's way more effective when he has permission to skate up and down the rink. Like there are some players who they do better when, when they don't have to move as much. And then there are others who it seems like the more they have to skate, the better they think the game. And I think Morrissey's more uh, in that latter category. So, uh, you know, again, I think bonus has a good reputation for developing defensemen and seeing them kind of flourish, uh, under him and and whether it's you know headman in tampa whether it's heisken in dallas now with morrissey um certainly when, when you give these defensemen the green light to kind of make reads and join the play uh if they're good skaters and they think the game really well then um they'll tend to be able to both uh you know attack but also defend better because now they're up ice they're more involved they're not really sitting back and, and waiting for the play to come to them 
Um, how much stock do you put into uh, the uh, those the guys who sort of take a better offensive turn? Um, them playing with someone who really doesn't do any of that uh is it like a comfortability thing is it maybe something that it just it allows uh sort of a a trust i'm saying this because morrissey looks when at his best when he's with dylan Demello, who is the best like defender on the jets um would you say that just that having that level of stability defensively just allows that you know, offensive player to just have a little bit more confidence in what they're doing. So they're not worrying about what happens if they turn it over. So if you, for example, if you look at other teams that, that do really well, whether it's, let's say New Jersey with the, the, uh, Ziegenthaler and Hamilton pairing, whether it's Colorado with, uh, Taves and McCarr, obviously like the league has gone away from this paradigm where like you have to pair an offensive defenseman with a stay at home guy. Now, if you look at the, the best, uh, most effective pairs it's usually two guys who can skate maybe one guy who likes to have the puck and the other guy was more of a complimentary player who who doesn't need to have the puck all the time but you need your defenseman to move together and having like one fast guy and one slow guy generally doesn't lend itself well to that because there's just too much of a difference in, in mobility and that actually creates openings for your opponents because now they can pick and choose who they attack off the rush, and that creates kind of different uh, weaknesses. And so, so again, I, for for me, that makes total sense. Because Demello is a guy who's like he's kind of not like super flashy, but he's sneaky skilled in how he uses his skating and how he gets off the wall and how he makes these little passes. And uh, that that can really free up Morrissey, uh, you know, in terms of defensively because he doesn't have to do as much, but also offensively because now. Morrissey can kind of cheat for offense, uh, sprint out the middle of the ice, and then DeMello can can get the puck to him. Yeah, and DeMello's one of those guys where he's not your typical like top four defenseman, but he just posts good results no matter who he's playing with. Whether it's DeMello or Morrissey or Schmidt um, or Pionk or the Jets' top D prospect in Ville Hanala, a lot of people view the Jets as having a smaller defense core. Um, a big knock on them is that they need more size on the back end. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I want to get your thoughts on what smaller defensemen in general can do. Like Morrissey's six feet. That's not necessarily small, but what can someone who's not six, four do to gain an advantage like Dylan DeMello does um, in the defensive zone and be that shutdown guy that makes all the, the, the small plays. So, um, I think there's probably some merit, like the, the, the longer I, I coach and, and the more I, I, I look at how different teams play, uh, there's probably some merit in, in having these with good reach and, and good mm-hmm. kind of heft. Because ultimately, if you're in a one-on-one battle in the corner, um, a lot of it is just simple physics. Like if you're able to, to be bigger, stronger, and just like gain leverage in a certain situation, then you have a better chance of making that play. Uh, right. Whereas, you know, if you if you're more of a, a stats oriented person, like it's more of your your transition play that dictates how good your Corsi or your on ice expected goal is. So it's like, you know, once you're in the zone, it, it's a different skill set, right? To move people from out in front of the net to control battles in the corner. Now that that being said, you know, there's there's ways to, to kind of control the situation to to win those battles if you're smaller. The first one is you get in there earlier and you use your larger body parts against 
your opponent's smaller body parts. So something pretty fundamental that that you know we we teach uh, you know in, in the skills development circles is uh, cutting through hands. So what that means is you you literally cut in front of your opponent and you use your shoulders, your torso, or your hips to to kind of get into their forearms. So obviously, even if you're five foot eight, the other guy's six foot four, if you use your hips against his forearms, you're going to win. Uh, the, the second way to do it is get in there with more speed. Cause again, if you go back to simple physics, if you're a smaller, lighter player, but you go in with more speed, then there's more chance for you to use that momentum to, to win a battle. And if you look at a player like Nick Ehlers, he does that a lot. He does that really well. And then the third one is simply to avoid the areas where you're likely to, uh, to lose those battles. So you'll, you'll see some players maybe not even go into the corner or, you know, let the opponent retrieve the puck and then kind of uh, meet him in an area that's maybe a little bit more um, more favorable. So, so that's the third, maybe kind of the least desirable way because then you can be exploited and you know, I, you, you get the impression that maybe the, the, this player is fearful or that's this player is, is soft. But um, you know, a lot of players play a long time in the league by by doing that. Yeah, and you alluded to the not even going to those places. This might sound like a dumb question depending on your answer but we'll see um is there a way to like schematically hide a smaller defender or if the puck gets dumped into your corner you're kind of just screwed regardless or is there a way to kind of combat that and put like a 6-4 guy with a 5-10 guy and kind of nullify that a little bit or is it just if you're small you're small you got to fight through it um I mean, certainly there, there's ways to hide it. Um, one way, for example, is uh, under Paul Maurice, uh, Winnipeg played a swarm D-zone. So as soon as the puck is dumped in the corner, the first two people, generally both defensemen, they just go. So what happens is you're overwhelming the opposition by getting both your defensemen in there before they can get their eyes up and do something with the puck. Now, whether those two defensemen are you know, six foot five or five foot six, if they're in there early, then it really shouldn't matter. So, so that's one way to do it is to be super aggressive on a loose puck and, um, you know, hope that you don't get beat back to the middle. The other way is, is something that if you watch Logan Stanley, like he does it really well, which is keep the play up by, by pinching a lot. So, you know, he's six foot seven, he's what, 230 or 240 pounds. Yeah. Um, his weakness probably is that he's not the best backward skater. So instead of going backwards, he's actually going to go forward. If he's on left point, there's a 50-50 puck down the half wall. He's just going to steamroll into the pile. And then uh, the forward essentially will back up and cover for him. And, and actually, like, that's one reason why, like, Stanley has always had kind of sneaky good offensive impacts, or at least not, not as bad as you th- you think because at least he does a pretty good job of keeping the puck in the ozone it's not that he's making these plays to create offense per se but at least he's extending and and preventing the other team from getting the puck out um with that i'm I'm actually curious to go a little bit back to just sort of the the processes of the actual you know consulting that you do um, I know that you had mentioned already, I was going to bring this up, uh, but you you mentioned uh, about your work with uh, the Connecticut. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious, uh, you've done some consulting work with uh, the Zurich Lions of the Swiss, Na- Swiss National League. I'm curious in terms of systems wise, uh, what would be different 
uh, because you've now worked with, uh, you know, American Hockey League franchises. You've worked with, um, you know, Canadian University. You've worked uh, with, you know, the PHF and now the, the National League. Um, what are some of the differences that you would take out of those that you can also like either use or it's kind of specific to that league? I mean, I think hockey tends to be pretty, it's more similar than different when you're looking at higher levels where players have a good understanding of what the game is about, but also have a good ability to, ex to execute the, the concepts that you, you talk about. Obviously, there's a difference between uh, big ice and small ice. So NHL with or international with, uh, I actually find, you know, having worked in women's hockey for a long time, women's hockey kind of plays like men's hockey on international ice because the players are smaller. Uh, they don't cover as much ground. So, uh, but, but it's, it's actually not as radically different as you would expect anymore. I think even on international size ice, I think a lot of the same tactics will be effective. Um, Overall, what you see across the league now is more teams are interested in having three players above the puck, which means three players between uh, th between the puck and their net, uh, whether it's defensively to prevent odd-man rushes or offensively to then get these kind of downhill attacking uh, possibilities. Uh, whereas uh, maybe a few years ago, and especially I would say uh, Winnipeg last year with uh, – under Paul Maurice and and, and uh, Dave Lowry is that they were kind of a more of an old school team in terms of having three players cycling deep and then the D is very passive. Right now you see uh, most NHL teams, they'll have two players deep, a third forward much higher, and then the defensemen in turn, they have more permission to pinch or to contribute uh, and attack downhill because they're starting from a position of defensive strength. Uh, so kind of... Um, you know, the, the, this inverting the pyramid idea where you, we have fewer players deep in the ozone, but then we have more possibilities to attack downhill once we win that battle. Yeah. And I mean, kind of on the same thread with, I know you said with, obviously there's more similarities than differences in terms of hockey. Um, but in, at any league, any level, how gratifying is it to work with players and try and, you know, help them reach that full potential, that next level for them? Yeah, well, that, that for me is the best part. Um, you know, every every year uh, there's only one team in a given league that can win the championship. But I think the, the thing that's really cool about this, you know, the work that I'm doing now is that you can get these small wins because, you know, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with players and I'm helping them uh, get the most out of their game or find improvement in areas that maybe they wouldn't have expected. And, you know, for me, that, that feels you know, almost as good as winning a championship because then you're, you, you see that you're really actively influencing players' career arcs, and, and that's really cool. And, I mean, I, I can only imagine that seeing, especially, like, if someone you work with, you know, a little while ago, and you see them starting to really succeed further down the line, that can only be, like, you see that. It's there, there's Obviously, there's pride for the player, but there's got to be some pride for you there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think it's the same in, in any... Uh, you, you can get the same feeling in any discipline. Like my grandfather, who was a big role model for me growing up, he was an elementary school teacher. Uh, he taught for about 40 years. So it's, it's a similar kind of feeling where like he would tell me about his students coming back and, uh, you know, visiting him with presents on his birthday. Like 
years after he retired. So, so those are the kind of things like the long-term relationships that you build, which are really cool. And hockey is essentially only kind of a medium for that. Like I, you know, it, it could be in any other line of work, but, but for me, that that's the best part. Yeah, that's, you know, I really, ultimately it's, it, it must be just so great to, to see that, but, uh, um, Thanks for, for doing this with us. Uh, before we let you go, though, uh, you want to just, uh, you know, pump up your work, uh, talk about the book at all, where to find you. I know you have a sub stack. If you wanted to, you know, hype that up a little bit, uh, go right ahead. Yeah. So uh, if you're really interested in, in kind of deepening your understanding of how NHL teams play, I would highly encourage you to check out my latest ebook, uh, Hockey Tactics 2023. Uh, it's available on a website called Gumroad. So you can, you can buy the book and then you can download it right away. There's no need to wait for shipping or anything like that. Uh, it's uh, over 320 pages of uh, diagrams and, and brief, concise explanations. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people, whether they're fans, players, coaches, they get a lot of value out of that. You can print it out, uh, you know, post it in their lock, your locker room to share with your teammates or your players. And uh, w what you'll find is that NHL tactics, they're, teams play the way they do for a reason and also you can understand it there, there's nothing really secret about it uh well as uh as we said thank you so much for coming on you know from myself and connor um yeah we we really appreciate it yeah well thanks for having me on and then uh best of luck for uh, the jets the the rest of the season <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, we uh, are just going to be uh, taking another quick break and we'll be back to wrap things up and talk about uh, uh, the rest of the week's uh, games and everything and the upcoming matchups for the Jets. Thanks again to Jack. We'll see you in a second. Thanks, Jack. And uh, welcome back. Thanks again to Jack for that. That was terrific. We're very happy to have had him on um definitely go give him a follow at uh, jhon hockey or hky on twitter <laughs> um and check out hockey tactics 2023 um before we go though we're just going to give you a quick rundown of what we got coming up here this week um it's going to be a little bit weirder because we're releasing this after the bruins game tonight yeah so we'll either be uh celebrating because they've beaten the best team in the league uh, or we're going to have a lot to talk about if they get absolutely shelled. Um, so that, yeah, they, they start off uh, against the Bruins. Then they hit the road uh, for a central division clash with the team that is currently closest to them on the outside looking in the predators, only four points back right now uh, hit the, the Nashville on Saturday head to St. Louis on the Sunday. Uh, and then, we're going to be back home here uh, for a matchup against the Coyotes in one of those games where you just have to win regardless of what else is going on around you. Um, it's one of those San Jose type games, you know? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're going to have a lot to talk about next week because yeah. you've got a lot of variety there. You've got the best team in the league. You've got two teams that you need to beat and you've got a team that is chasing you down. If they lose in regulation to Nashville, that is trouble. Because yeah. hypothetically, let's say they come out flat against Boston, losing regulation against Boston. Mm -hmm. They go into Nashville and losing regulation. Uh, obviously, it depends on what Nashville does between now and then. That could be the difference between the Jets being in a spot versus being on the outside looking in by this weekend. Also, if you go and look at 
the team that Nashville is playing right now, like just oh, the, no. their their roster, because they sold at the deadline. They sold it's everywhere. Bad. It's really bad. So if the Jets do not get in over Nashville, that is an organizational failure because Nashville they're they're depleted. They sold they're absolutely. De- yeah, yeah. We and yeah, we I, have I, one of their guys. <laughs> we we bought from them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh boy, but- they played chicago tonight too that this is setting up for a you have to win to keep your spot uh, that's a must game. win uh i don't like using must win because it i do i think I love it. all games should be you know same urgency because if you, if like you tonight, win tonight isn't a must win against boston because like boston's a, like amazing so it's like whatever but uh it's, it's a situation of keep it close uh, and try and beat the best team in the league on something weird. Potentially they did just the best lose... team in NHL history. They did just lose to Chicago, right. so... I know, yeah. We'll see. Uh, anything can happen. They started Olmark against Chicago, and he let in six. Mm. So Swayman, so, probably? Uh, yeah. Either Swayman or you've got angry Olmark, so... Uh, Not great. Not it'll great be tough. Way. Um, but yeah. no, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Uh, so definitely... Uh, tune in then we're gonna hope to have it out sometime midweek uh not exactly sure on the recording date yet because we're getting into crunch time again with school uh so we'll uh keep you guys posted on when we're recording if you have any requests just let us know uh but uh from myself and for connor and another big thanks to uh to jack for coming on we will see you next week and go jets go jets you've been listening to the level flight podcast on the hockey podcast network 